According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes to the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in the book of Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 this morning, we get our first look at a new chapter. We've uh, wrapped up all the details that uh, I think we're going to go through here in uh, verses 19 through uh, 30 of chapter 2, dealing with uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus and the travel plans that uh, the travel plans that uh, we were dealing with there. And now we're ready to uh, resume the aspects of rejoicing. We had rejoicing before we started this side trip on Timothy and Epaphroditus, and uh, Paul returns to that. He's going to return to it again and again and again in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Uh, Philippians really is the book on rejoicing as, uh, as we deal with it there. All right, God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth to make sure that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that we are humble, that we are ready to receive instruction. Let's uh, take a moment for silent prayer and call upon our Father to manifest His faithfulness. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your faithfulness, thankful for your grace and truth, recognizing, Father, that we don't deserve to be here this morning, that, uh, Father, we should be in the lake of fire. But you sent your Son to die on the cross that we might have eternal life. And I thank you that uh, we can come boldly before you, not on the basis of our righteousness, but having received your righteousness imputed to our account. And, Father, we're here this morning to receive instruction uh, presenting ourselves before you as workmen, needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, Father, bless us with your truth this morning. Open the eyes of our understanding. I thank you and I praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. And so this uh, brings us now into chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, returns us back to the issue of rejoicing, and uh, we're ready now to proceed. 21 verses that we're going to deal with here in this chapter. Chapter 3 begins Paul's main address to the Philippians, and the rendering of finally uh, is a little bit unfortunate. It almost sounds like a conclusion. Uh, he'll have another finally in uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 8, and even that's not a conclusion either. Finally, brother, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, you know the verse there. Uh, he will eventually get to his uh, conclusion at the end of chapter 4. Uh, but it really does mark from chapter 3, verse 1, to chapter 4 and verse oh, uh, 10 or so, verse 9, that, that's really the, the, the main thing that he wants to get across to the Philippians. Chapter 1 is background, chapter 2 is background, and, and now uh, 
this this term finally it's like he's finally getting around to his main point <laughs> he's finally getting around to the to the meat of uh, what it is that he wants to deliver to the philippian believers so chapter 3 begins paul's main address to the philippians that's going to take us from 3 1 to 4 9 with all the background information out of the way uh, paul and timothy now exhort the philippians to joyfully keep on pressing onward and upward. And that's what chapter 3 is. It's the onward and upward chapter as we recognize our citizenship is in heaven and we forget what lies behind and we reach forward. We, we want to lay hold of that for which also Christ Jesus laid hold of us. And so we can think of chapters 1 and 2 as background, Paul's circumstances, where he is, what's going on, what it is that's caused him to, to write this letter uh, but really, that's all just background. The letter begins now. The letter begins in chapter 3 with rejoice. And uh, we'll tackle that. The main address begins with rejoice and beware. Rejoice and beware, as it says here. Um, and we'll discuss the imperative of blepo and whether it truly is a warning. Uh, there's more warnings. Beware the dogs. Beware the evil workers. Beware the false circumcision. We'll deal with that in verse 2. Um, but to rejoice. It stresses the spiritual reality of our sign and our seal. And what's our sign and our seal? We're going to talk about that. For, for the Jews in the Old Testament, it was circumcision. Circumcision is the sign and seal of their relationship with Yahweh, the sign and the seal of the Abrahamic covenant that was made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the sign and the seal for the Jewish people as it relates to their relationship with Yahweh Elohim is circumcision. For us, however, it's a different issue. It's a spiritual issue. And in fact, we are the circumcision. And so uh, we're going to see this in verse 3. We are the circumcision. And uh, there's a little helping word in there that says we are the true circumcision. That's contrasted with a little helping word in verse 2. Uh, beware of the false circumcision. Okay, And I don't know why true is italicized and false is not. Uh, if you're going to italicize one, you ought to italicize both. And uh, we'll deal with that because they're really they're different words altogether. And uh, there are no adjectives true or false. There's just uh, contrasting words for circumcision that are used uh, in verse 2 and verse 3. So uh, what does it mean to be the circumcision? That's us. We are the circumcision. It's like Christ, our Passover, has been crucified. And so Jesus is the Passover. We are the circumcision. Okay, And that's, uh, that's uh, an interesting thing. So we'll deal with that. So uh, as we begin with rejoice and beware, we have the first six verses, and that's what we're going to tackle in the first uh, part of the chapter stressing the spiritual reality of our sign and our seal. So let's look at it. Uh, let me just read one through six. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard to you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the mutilation or the false circumcision. For we are the circumcision who worship in spirit, in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law 
a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. And so that's the first section of what we're going to deal with here in Philippians chapter 3, stressing the spiritual reality of our sign and our seal. And we're going to be equipped to, uh, to handle it on that basis. We get into verses 7 through 12. After summarizing his impressive credentials, Paul recategorizes them on his profit and loss statement. After summarizing his impressive credentials, and they are impressive. I mean, when you look through what we just read there in, uh, in verses 5 and 6, man, Paul had it made. He was, uh, he was first in the class. He was tops of the charts. And, uh, and yet he recategorizes them uh, with accounting terminology, right? If you have a CPA and you have an, I married a CPA, so I know how this works. And uh, you have a profit and loss statement, right? And you've got a column for your, uh, your uh, accounts receivable or your assets or the things that are, you know, positive money you have or money you have coming in. And then you've got another column for money you don't have or things you've been spending or you've done spend it already or you're, you're scheduled to spend it. Uh, you've got liabilities, right? And so you've got assets and you've got liabilities. And, and ideally, you know, clearly you want to have, you want to be in the black. You don't want to be in the red. You want to have more income than, than outgo as far as that goes. Well, what Paul does here, he takes all of these things that some people would think of as assets. They would think of them as, as to his, to his account, to his favor, that those are good things. And he reclassifies them and says, no, get rid of those. He classifies those and says, no, that's loss. He says, that's a write-off. That's a loss. Okay? And so in verses 7 through 12, he, he throws it all away. He says, whatever things were gain to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And you can imagine sitting down with an IRS, uh, you know, you're getting audited and here's the IRS that's, uh, you know, and, 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 the, and they say, look, this is, your, this is your gain. This is your profit. This is your income. And Paul says, no, it's not. He says, that's a loss. That's a loss. I count uh, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Okay, and that's a present tense knowing. That's not about getting saved. That's not about you know back in the day when you came to know Christ. Such a thing would be in the aorist tense. Such a thing would be a past event, a completed action. Uh, you know, we could say, well, you know, yeah, I came to know Christ in, uh, you know, whenever that was. But he speaks of it as a present ongoing relationship, a present ongoing knowing. See, you keep on knowing. It's like in marriage, you keep on knowing your, your spouse and you know your spouse better than you did 27 years ago. You just know better and better and better. And that's what he talks about here that I count, I presently now count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of presently now knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and presently now count them but rubbish. And that's a pretty harsh term, okay? We'll deal with that. A little vulgar. And, uh, and if the Holy Spirit saw fit to put vulgarity in the Bible, we'll, uh, we'll handle it in a sanctified vulgarity as far as that goes. Um, that I may count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ. You say, well, Paul, you're already a believer. What are you talking about? 
You want to gain Christ in a potential? You want to gain Christ presently? You want to gain Christ in the future? What are you talking about? You already have Christ. How are you going to gain Christ if you already have Christ? And may be found in Him. Well, aren't you already found in Him? Wait a minute. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And, uh, and again, almost everyone, you know, a lot of people aren't going to take this as phase one salvation, as you know, what happened back when you got saved. But really the whole tone of this text is present tense in, in experiential salvation, in experiential justification, in experiential uh, reception of righteousness by grace through faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. All of this is present tense. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And that is such a powerful verse. And by the time we're done with this, we're going to embrace this bigger than anything. And we're going to love this. Uh, I heard uh, George Meisinger preach this years ago, and I've never forgotten it. And it blessed me at the time. And it's going to bless me again and again. It's going to bless all of us as we go through this together. That I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And that's not Paul saying, I hope when I die that I'm going to be resurrected and go to heaven. It doesn't say that at all. Far from it. I mean, it's, if, if that's all that says, it's, it's, it's stupid. Why put that in the Bible? Of course we hope for, to be raised when we die and go see with Jesus when we're dead. It's more than that. It's present tense. Attaining to the resurrection is present tense. I want to walk the resurrection walk today. I want to walk, that's the upward call. That's the, that's the newness of life. And I don't have to wait to die and be resurrected to experience the resurrection way of life. That's what we should have today. And we'll deal with that as we go through verses 7 through 12. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, obtained it or have already become perfect. And I prefer to keep verse 12 with a paragraph. I, I, my paragraph markings are a little different. 7 through 12 and then you can put 13 in boldface, but that's a different issue. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. See, we want to reach forward. We want to grab hold of this. What do we want to grab hold of? Well, what did Jesus grab hold of when he grabbed hold of us? What was, what was in his mind? What was he considering? See, and this, is what, this all comes down to us having the same thinking that Jesus has. Okay? And we'll say more on that when we back up and restart verse 1 here shortly. So that's verses 7 through 12. That'll be a separate outline. Each one of these is going to be a separate outline. Okay, so our first outline is verses 1 through 6. Our second outline is going to be verses 7 through 12. Then our third outline. This humble attitude equips us, equips us all, to keep pressing on the upward way. And it's like my favorite hymn, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, right? Um, it's, it's higher ground is what it is. And we're not waiting to go to heaven to be on the higher ground. We're pressing on the upward way today, all day, every day. So this humble attitude equips us all to keep pressing on the upward way. The fact is we don't regard ourselves as having laid hold of it yet. Not one of us. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how much doctrine you know. I don't care how much fruit you've borne. I don't care how much treasure you've laid up in heaven. You got a lot of it there? Great. Go for more. Keep reaching forward. 
Don't retire. Don't consider yourself done. Don't ever fall for the, for the, uh, the satanic trap of good enough and say, well, that's good enough. Okay. I've done enough. I've laid up enough. Somebody else can have a turn now. I'm tired. I'm done. All right. Haven't I done enough? No, you're still here. Okay. And in fact, it says, let no one take your crown. It says, hold fast. Uh, and it's curious to me. Uh, we lay up treasure in heaven where th- moth does not, uh, do, rust and moth uh, do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And some people, I think they abuse that promise. I agree with you. Moth and rust do not destroy. I agree with you. Thieves do not break in steal. But however, is it conceivable that assets you've laid up in heaven that the Father may diminish some of those? Because the Scripture does say, let no one take your crown. The Scripture does say, hold fast what you have. And what is, what's the purpose of those warnings? It seems as if in those warnings there are things that are laid up in heaven that might, might be diminished for future faithlessness. See, for brothers and sisters that feel, well, I've done enough. I've laid up enough. Wait a minute. Okay. So we'll talk about that as well as we get into that. Keep pressing on. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, and one thing I regard, one thing I consider, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And then understand that. That gets misapplied too. It's not forgetting bad stuff. It's not forgetting, you know, your dissipation before you got saved. It's not forgetting uh, you know, a couple of years of carnality that you're not very proud of in your youth, your irresponsible youth, or your college drunkenness, or I mean, whatever. It's not the bad stuff. This is saying forgetting the good stuff, forgetting what you've laid up, forgetting what you have done, forgetting the positive things. You know, who cares if you've taught 5,510 times? Forget all that. Reach forward. Okay? Reach forward to what lies ahead. There's another one to do. There's more to be done. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? And that's it's a verse that just keeps going and going and going and going and it's written in a way that conveys the very truth of what it's trying to say. So it's, it's, it's just, it's always forward moving. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And it just keeps driving you forward and forward and forward and forward again. So let us, therefore, as many as are perfect or being perfected, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, <laughs> God will reveal that also to you. He is marvelous at what he's done. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. He is able to provide the attitude adjustments that are necessary. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. And so this is, uh, this is, this is powerful. There's no judgmentalism. There's no legalism about it. There's no superiority. It's, it's just uh, all of us together in a let us kind of a thing. Do you notice the let us, let us in verse 15 and verse 16 there. It's very similar to Hebrews with let us, let us. And, and that's what it should be about. I'm growing, you're growing, we're all growing together, so let's reach forward, let's do this. And, um, and so there it is. 
Then finally, um, the chapter's conclusion in 17 through 21. The chapter concludes with a warning against those who are earthly-minded and fail to esteem our heavenly citizenship. The chapter concludes with a warning against those who are earthly-minded and fail to esteem our heavenly citizenship. This is verses 17 through 21. And uh, some interpretive decisions you have to come through when you're, when you're making uh, a study out of chapter 3. Uh, it says in verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And so this warning comes after the let us, let us exhortations. And it says, you can imitate us, but look out for these other guys. Don't imitate them. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and tell you now, even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And as these guys get described, then we'll have to deal with them, and we'll deal with them in verses, uh, you know, at the end of the chapter, in verses 18 and 19. But they're earthly-minded. They don't, they don't have the concept that, that 20 and 21 tell us there, that our citizenship is in heaven. They're not fixing their eyes on the things above, as, as we're supposed to do. Okay? Now, some of the things we'll talk about maybe even earlier than that, because there's a, um, there's a lot of issues in this chapter, and commentaries are all over the place. Um, the enemies at the end of the chapter, are they the same as the enemies at the beginning of the chapter? Who's at the beginning of the chapter? Beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the false circumcision. And so we've got to handle verse 2. And once we handle verse 2, then we've got to ask ourselves, all right, Verses 18 and 19, are these the same people? <laughs> Is this a different group? Okay, and those are legitimate questions. Don't get me, I mean, I'm not blaming the commentaries for exploring it. You have to explore it. Um, it's just a lot of them are coming to the wrong, I mean, they're coming to different choices. I, I think they're different, different choices. And uh, the, the group in verse 2 and 3, uh, they don't have to worry about because they're not there. Uh, but the group in, in verses 18 and 19, they do have to worry about because they are there. Okay? And so that's, that's the biggest difference in my mind. And we'll explain that and, and uh, let you decide for yourself if, if you agree with that conclusion or not. But um, anyway, I think they're a different enemy in uh, 18 and 19. So many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. And there'll be more to deal with there because there's lots of different appetites. It's not just simply a food appetite. There's sex appetites. There's alcohol appetites. There's pleasure appetites. There's entertainment appetites. There's, uh, there's all kinds of things. Anyway, appetite for destruction right there in, uh, in verse 19. But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven from whom which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a present citizenship even while we're waiting for a future transformation, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exercise of the power that He has to subject all things even to Himself. There it is. That's our blessed hope, the rapture of the church. It can happen today. It can happen right now. Oh, that it were today. Okay, That's the... Uh, that's the aspect there. So here's what we're going to cover. Chapter 3 will be covered in four sections, and uh, those are the segments that you have there. So rejoice in the Lord. And uh, I almost gave it a different title than that, but we'll, we'll leave it as that. 
the rejoice in the Lord is going to come back again in in four four. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice, and maybe maybe that's the paragraph. It would be better to to give this title, rejoice in the Lord, or maybe I'll give both paragraphs the title, rejoice in the Lord, because after the the first imperative here, rejoice in the Lord, uh, we don't have the, the the rejoice appear again anywhere else in in verses one through six, but that's all right. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, and so we'll start with that. Point one is rejoice in the Lord. And that's an order, okay? It's not an option. <laughs> it's not a rejoice if you feel like it. It doesn't say, you know, rejoice if good things are happening. It says rejoice in the Lord. And it's totally separated from circumstances. There's no, there are no circumstances mentioned in any sort. It doesn't say, you know, you just had a baby, rejoice in the Lord, or you just got married, rejoice in the Lord, or good things are happening, you just got a new job, rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't say any of that. It says rejoice in the Lord. So whatever you've got going on, good things, bad things, or some of both, it says rejoice in the Lord. And I love the fact that it has that in the Lord connected there too, right? Like when Paul said, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly. And so that's not a throwaway expression. That's an expression with, with impact. It's an expression with a doctrinal application to be made. We're going to make that here this morning. So subpoint A, before the travel plans interruption, Paul had shared his own joy and exhorted the Philippians to rejoice with him. And so before we got to this, this side trip in the end of chapter 2, uh, before the travel plans interruption, Paul had shared his own joy and he had exhorted the Philippians to rejoice with him. And so let's turn back and remind ourselves. Back in chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So he has a present rejoicing, he anticipates a future rejoicing, and he's sharing that with the Philippians. That even in the midst of the, the uh, pretense of, uh, of things that are happening there in chapter 1, there was a crowd that was taking advantage of Paul's imprisonment, and they were preaching Christ, you know, gathering followers and, and getting people saved, and thinking that it was going to cause Paul distress. And here he is in prison, not getting distressed, just rejoicing over over what's happening and even with false motivations they're still preaching christ and so paul rejoices he says i rejoice yes i will rejoice and then in chapter 2 he says even if verse 17 even if i am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith i rejoice and share my joy with you all and so there he again, he discusses his own rejoicing and he shares his joy with them. He even puts it in priestly language of sacrifice. He says, think of it this way, your service, your sacrifice. Uh, remember in the Levitical offerings that there were, there were animals, there were, there were blood uh, animal sacrifices that were offered, goats and bulls and rams and whatnot. But then as those animals were slaughtered, there were additional sacrifices that were given, including a drink offering. A drink offering would be poured out. And Paul says, if I may, let me add my drink offering to your sacrifice. Let me add my drink offering to your, you know, goat, if you will, or bull or whatever it is. 
So he talks about their sacrifice. The Philippian ministry is called a sacrifice and service of your faith. And so he says, hey, I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. And uh, this is part of the fellowship of, of what we're dealing with here. And so he says, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And so this is what we do. We're boasting in the Lord as we rejoice in the Lord, as we rejoice with all these things. And so I want to hear what's happening in Philippi. I want to hear what's happening at Corpus Christi Bible Church, at Lost Pines Bible Church. I want to hear what's happening in these other ministries. I want to hear what's happening on the mission field. I want to hear what's happening. Good stuff, bad stuff, all the stuff. I want to hear what's happening in Cameroon. They're on the verge of a civil war right now, but we've got brothers and sisters there with doctrine. I want to hear how the Lord's sustaining them. I want to hear how they are ministering to their countrymen in this time. I want to hear what our missionaries are doing in Nicaragua right now. While that may <coughs> end up being, there's over 100 dead so far in the, the government murders of their own citizens. And, and the citizens are, are rising up, and the more they get, they get uh, shot down, the more are rising up. <coughs> and so these are things to share in, these are things to partake in, these are things to rejoice over. And uh, they may not be pleasant. A physical death, as Paul says, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, that's, that means he's going to die. He says, oh, well, if I die, it's for the glory of Jesus Christ, and consider that the drink offering then to your sacrifice. You all can keep going. I'm, I'm going to finish my course. And that's uh, the aspect there. So before the travel plans interruption, Paul had shared his own joy, and he had exhorted the Philippians to rejoice with him. He now returns to that imperative here, and he will do so again and again. And so I like the fact that uh, when we have these rejoicing terms, they get repeated like they, had, they were repeated twice in one eighteen. they were repeated twice in 2.17 and 18, uh, repeated twice in Philippians 4.4, 4. rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. All right? I get it, Paul. You keep saying it over and over and over again. Is there a value in uh, redundancy? Yes. It's a sanctified redundancy. It is, uh, it is by design. It is, uh, it is a feature, not a bug, okay? It's, uh, it's, a part, of the, it's part of the design in this, this Bible app that he's given us in the, in the Word of God over and over and over again. And, and to me, that's a glorious thing. I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a part of the fall. I think it's a design of unfallen humanity that we are... Uh, designed to be repetitive, we're designed to be systematic, we're designed to be consistent, that we should have a daily walk. Why did God in creation have morning and even, evening and morning day one, evening and morning day two, evening and morning day three, and so forth? He's showing us consistency, he's showing us repetition, he's showing us again and again and again and again, and then on the seventh day you mark it's the seventh day and you worship. And I think that's what we're designed to do. And Adam and Eve were designed to do that. Every day they were walking with the Lord in the cool of the day. Why the cool of the day? Because it came around every day. Here it is again. Here it is again. Time to worship with Jesus Christ. And so there's consistency. And then, of course, the fall makes it worse. I mean, the fall, what happens with the fall? Well, now we have fallen bodies in a fallen world, and now 
was designed to be a good thing can become destructive. Now what happens is we have addictions. Why do we have addictions? Because we're designed to do things over and over and over again. But sadly, now it's a sinful thing, a fallen thing that we're doing again and again and again, okay? In, uh, in terms of that. But anyway, uh, these are the things that I find interesting. So when he says uh, to write the same things again is no trouble to me. To rewrite something over again, you know, what would what would the Apostle Paul have done in in the twenty first century with cut and paste? <laughs> you know, you know, he wouldn't have. I mean, you don't need a scribe and a scroll and a quill, and you know, it was a lot harder for him back in those days. Now he just do you know, control X, control V, V, V. All right. So he returns to that imperative here. He will do so again and again. Now remember. What's this in the Lord about? Sub point B. Remember, hoping, quote unquote, in the Lord. That's the phrase. In the Lord. Subjects personal desire to the headship of Jesus Christ. Hoping in the Lord. Subjects personal desire to the headship of Jesus Christ. And we dealt with that in chapter 2. Remember, you don't need the phrase in the Lord for the sentence to make any sense. It's in a sense, you could take that phrase out and you still have a complete thought. You still have a complete sentence. I hope to send Timothy to you shortly. It makes sense. Okay? It's what Paul hopes to do. But when he says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, what's different about that statement? What happens when you say, in the Lord? I hope in the Lord. Okay? What that means is, is in, by, with, these are all prepositions we have in English that all convey the, 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 the Greek dative case here in, in this. But in the Lord, with the Lord, by the Lord, recognizing that I'm yoked to Jesus Christ, I'm walking with Him. He's the head of the church. He's the one that's walking. And, and uh, so if, in fact, He's walking a different direction than I didn't anticipate, and in his plan, he's not intending to send Timothy. Well, then Paul, not going to send Timothy. That's what I hope in the Lord is about. It's not my will, but thine be done. That's in the Lord. Greet one another in the Lord. We have other in the Lord statements. Hope in the Lord. Pray in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Okay? And so rejoicing in the Lord, it's another subjection. It's not rejoicing in myself. Because okay, if I'm rejoicing in my, myself, then I'm very limited. I can only rejoice in, in things that spark joy in me. <laughs> okay? and, and there's a lot of things I go through that have no intrinsic joy. There's a lot of things I go through. We all do. We go through things. There's no joy in this. There's, there's sorrow in this. Not everything is joyful, but we can rejoice in all things because we're rejoicing in the Lord. So not circumstances. There are joyless circumstances, okay? But we still rejoice in the Lord, not in the circumstances. Is this making sense? I may say this over and over again just because it's a concept of repetition that we have in this verse. But that's what we're talking about. So we're subjecting. In the case of hoping, we're subjecting our hopes. In the case of rejoicing, we're subjecting our joy. We're subjecting our rejoicing. Okay? And this too allows us to rejoice in one another. So somebody else has something to rejoice in. Somebody else has, you know, uh, 
a, a great thing happening, a, a wedding yesterday, or a baby was born, or a baby that's about to be born, or there's other good things that are happening. And I can rejoice for their sake. I can rejoice with them, and I can rejoice in the Lord and not be so subjective about it that I start to frump. I start to, I start to grumble. I start to think, well, why do good things happen to them? Why, why, why don't good things happen to me? You know, how come they get a new job? How come I'm still stuck with this crummy job? How come they got this? How come I don't get that? And so the, a person with that mindset can't rejoice in the Lord at all because they're too saturated with self. And they watch some good thing happen to somebody else and it just triggers a, a mental attitude sin against that person. Like, that's not right. That's wrong. How, how dare they? they? They don't deserve that. I'm better than they are. Why don't I get that? Okay? No. Rejoicing in the Lord. So we're going to subject our personal enjoyment to the grace appreciation perspective of Jesus Christ. And, and let's not forget, I say this a lot, the, I think the biggest issue with so many of these terms is our language works against us. Our language works against us. I said this with love. I say this with joy. I say this with peace. I say this again and again and again. The English words as commonly used are typically emotions. And that's a problem, biblically speaking. Because agape, charis, kara, cairo, all these terms, they're thought processes, they're spiritual exercises. They are not emotions. You can have biblical joy and be emotionally a train wreck. You can have biblical joy and emotional sadness at the same time. That's not a contradiction. You can have biblical love and emotional anger at the same time. See, because agape is not an emotion. Kara is not an emotion. They get rendered with English words like love and joy and peace and gentleness, goodness, meekness. And, and so we go through these, these facets, these fruits of the Spirit, and then we get confused because emotionally we're sad today. And I think, well, if I'm sad today, I must not be in fellowship. I must not, because the fruit of the Spirit would be joy instead of sadness. Wait a minute. Quit confusing the emotions with the fruit. Quit confusing the emotions with the spiritual exercise of agape and Cairo and, and, and arene and, and all these expressions, see. And so rejoicing in the Lord um, is, uh, is not an emotional thing, okay? It's a spiritual exercise to rejoice. So throw your own soul party when, uh, when you choose to do so all day, every day, rejoicing in the Lord. Now, um, this does require us to be in fellowship. This blessing requires us to be in fellowship. The fruit of the Spirit, if, you, if you're not in fellowship, if the Holy Spirit is not producing this fruit in your soul, you can't rejoice. When you're carnal, nobody carnal rejoices, even when they think they're emotionally happy. <laughs> it's not biblical rejoicing. Okay? Well, let's look at Galatians 5. Taught on it that long ago. To me, it's, it's also important to recognize, I call it a grace appreciation perspective. That's what rejoicing is. A grace appreciation perspective. Even 
Kara comes from Karis. Cairo comes from Karis. It comes from the same stem, the same root in, in, in the Greek as grace. And so to rejoice is a, it's an expression of grace appreciation. God has poured out his grace on me and I'm going to respond. The stimulus of grace has hit me and now my response to that grace stimulus is a grace rejoicing response. It's an appreciation response. See? That's why I call it a grace appreciation perspective. Thankfulness is the same way, by the way. Thankfulness is a grace response. To And so is rejoicing. Grace responses to grace poured forth. So, um, we've got the deeds of the flesh, and they are evident. And then the deeds, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, that's agape, joy, that's kara, and that's where we are this morning, with joy, okay? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It goes on from there to peace, and if uh, you can get a handle on love, joy, peace, then this, uh, this thing here, <laughs> it's called patience, hupamane, kindness, Actually, it's uh, long-suffering, too. There's the macrothumia, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Against such things, there is no law. So, uh, you're going to try to rejoice out of fellowship? Forget it. Now, can you be happy out of fellowship? Uh, Okay. I got an amen there. I haven't gotten one of those for a while. You can be happy out of fellowship because your carnality will have a lot of fun out of fellowship on many occasions. On many occasions, carnality can spark an emotional fun. Right? We get that. Sin can be fun. It's called the passing pleasures of sin. And if you deny that sin is fun, you're not doing your kids any favor. You're not doing yourself any favor. It's called the passing pleasures of sin, and there is fun in a carnal way, in a human way, in a finite way, and in a, in a way that sparks divine discipline. But it will be fun at the moment until you start paying the price afterwards. And then, yeah. So, but to be in fellowship, to have, you got to be, have that fruit of the Spirit to produce the true kara, the true joy. And that gets produced when you're in fellowship. Whether or not you're having fun, whether or not you're struggling. Whether or not you're in prison, whether or not you're facing your own personal death, whether or not you've, you're dealing with whatever the test is you're dealing with, okay? That itself may be no fun at all, but you still have joy because it's the fruit of the Spirit along with love and peace and, and all the rest. This blessing also requires us to be occupied with Christ abiding in the Word of God. To be occupied with Christ abiding in the Word of God. Now we've got other verses for this. I chose 1 Corinthians 13, 6, but you could, you could add to this, put your own verses in this, you know, to be occupied with Christ. I mean, I think you got a favorite verse for that. I like fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. So, I mean, keep your eyes on Jesus. So you got Hebrews 12. Uh, we've got other verses. Take my yoke upon you. So there's a, there's a verse. If I'm going to be occupied with Christ. Um, other verses for occupy, occupation with Christ. It's a, occupation with Christ is a theological expression. There's no verse in the Bible that has the words occupied with Christ. But we do have verses about fixing your eyes upon Jesus. You have verses about 
um, keep your attention on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I mean, there's plenty of, of, of passages that give us this principle that we're to be occupied with Christ. If you're not occupied with Christ, how in the world can you rejoice in the Lord? You can't. You absolutely can't. You know, it, it, where's, where's the fellowship there? So to, uh, to have this mutual, reflective rejoicing, to have mutual, reflective fellowship, to have the common, shared experience requires communication, requires observation, requires uh, being in proximity. You know, I mean, if you, if you never hear from somebody, then how do you rejoice with them? Man, I haven't heard from them in 20 years. What's going on in their life? I don't know. Okay, well, good stuff, bad stuff. What are they, what's going on with them? I've got no clue. Hadn't seen them in ages. Okay, you know, we, we all have that. We all have, you know, they're, they're trying to schedule a, a 20 year reunion uh, or a 30 year reunion, I guess, coming up with the, the, the army unit I went to Desert Storm with. And uh, they're going to they're gonna do a thing and put the 411th MP company back together and all this stuff. And, and, uh, Anyway, they're they're planning out for it. 1990 is when we when we shipped out, and and uh, they, they want to have a big you know a big thing. And uh, well, all right, that'll be fun. I've lost track of most of those people. Kept track of maybe two or three. And uh, but when you're not in connection, if you don't know what's going on, if you don't know what they're rejoicing in, how do you rejoice with them? Right. If you don't know how the Lord's rejoicing, how do you rejoice with the Lord? Ah, see, I just gave it away, didn't I? So if I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, that's another way of saying rejoice with the Lord. What's he rejoicing in? Ah, okay. And he's not rejoicing in the bad stuff I'm going through, but he is rejoicing in the way all that bad stuff is working together for good. He is rejoicing in the way all that bad stuff is bearing fruit. All that bad stuff is building me up. All that bad stuff is helping me become more sensitive to other people and their bad stuff. It's tenderizing me so that I'm, I'm less, you know, gruff with things other people are going through. You know, and I can say, hey, you know what? I get that. I get that. Okay? And so that's what Jesus is rejoicing in. He's thrilled. <laughs> that all this hardship is is so productive, that all this hardship is so um, honoring to God the Father and glorifying to Jesus Christ. That thrills Jesus more than anything. That uh, when the trumpet sounds and he comes to claim his bride, he's going to have an adult bride. He's going to have a bride suitable for him, correspond, a helpmate corresponding to him. What kind of bride does the Son of Man, or the Son of God, does Jesus Christ deserve? <laughs> He deserves a pretty impressive bride, don't you think? And he's going to get a pretty impressive bride. The Father is going to make sure he gets a pretty pre, uh, pr- impressive bride. One that's going to be tested, one that's going to be suited, one that's going to be ready to reign with him as his queen in the millennial kingdom and beyond. So this blessing requires us to be occupied with Christ and abiding in the Word of God. I think John 15 for abiding in, in Christ, abiding in the word uh, uh, to be abiding in in uh, the vine, but uh, ultimately the one I chose to go with was First Corinthians thirteen six. Why did I choose to go with that one? Well, 
could have gone with all these other ones. But it's curious to me in this definition of love, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag, love is not arrogant, love does not act unbecomingly, love does not seek its own. So uh, that's why you can't rejoice uh, on a selfish basis. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. And here's now the, the connection between love and joy. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. So you want to you wanna occupy with Christ? You want to rejoice in the Lord? This is it right here. You've got to be in fellowship, filled with the Holy Spirit, and you've got to be occupied with Christ. If you're not occupied with Christ, how will you rejoice in the truth? Say, he's the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And so uh, this blessing requires us to be occupied with Christ, abiding in the Word of God. If you're not abiding in the Word of God, forget rejoicing in the Lord. You know? And then it should be evident. If it's not evident biblically, at least it can be evident experientially in your life. Think back to the times that maybe you weren't as hungry as you've been. Think back to seasons in your Christian walk where your appetite was diminished. In those seasons, during those times of not abiding in the Word of God, what was your joy capacity? What was, uh, how, how did it go rejoicing in the Lord? I don't think it's conceivable to be out of fellowship, to not be abiding with Christ and still rejoice in the Lord. I think you can rejoice carnally. You can rejoice in human things, but you can't rejoice in the Lord if you're not abiding in the Word of God. Biblically, I just don't see it. And so uh, these are the things we want to stress. So rejoice in the Lord. Today is a day to be in the Lord. Today is a day to be thinking His thoughts, to be oriented to His truth, to be occupied with Christ, and to do so in the Lord. All right. So is He rejoicing? I'm rejoicing. <laughs> and I'm rejoicing in the things He's rejoicing in. And that's, uh, that's a privilege to do all day. Is there a day that I can't do that? I don't think so. I think we can do this all day, every day. I think every waking moment there's a thing to rejoice in because I think Jesus is rejoicing in everything that He's doing. He's doing great things, isn't He? I think Jesus is doing marvelous things. He's head of the church. He knows what He's doing. He's not a dummy. Let's not be down on what He's doing. It's, it's, it's too, uh, I think that's too much of a snare too. Looking around and seeing, uh, you know, seeing problems in Christianity, problems in evangelical Christendom, seeing negative things that are happening, and growing discouraged over whatever. Jesus knows all that's happening. He's still in charge. He has a handle on all that. And I'm not going to dwell on those things. Let's rejoice in what he's rejoicing in. That's the, uh, that's the privilege there. Repetition is, is a protection, not a problem. Repetition is a protection, not a problem. <laughs> and uh, protection, problem, repetition. Okay? It's a good thing to hear it again and again and again. You know what? We've only got like eight minutes left in this hour. Maybe, uh, maybe at 11 o'clock I'll just preach this one all over again. Instead of Hebrews 5. Uh, 
teach it five times in a row. Just teach it every, every day of this month. It's a good thing. He says, and it's no problem for me. It is no trouble to me. And the phrase no trouble, no problem, no sweat, no, um, no laziness. It's actually it's a term for laziness. And it's an idiom that maybe is slightly lost to us. But it was just the way they used the word back then. The, uh, the idea of no laziness means, uh, you know, I'm not saying the thing over and over again out of laziness. Okay? I mean, think about it. It is kind of easy if, if you have a canned sermon and you take it to eight or nine different places. You know, you don't have to restudy or, or you know, if you're, if you're doing the same canned sermon a bunch of times, that's, that's kind of easy. And Paul says, no, I'm not just being lazy. I'm not being a slug. I'm saying the same thing over and over again to protect you because you're not listening. (laughs) So listen. And if you get it on the ninth time, well, thank God I said it nine times. Because if I would have stopped it eight times, then you wouldn't have gotten it. And so it's a protection, not a problem. It's a safeguard for you. And uh, the safeguard is kind of an interesting thing too as as we deal with that. Um. But look how many times the Scripture talks about repetition. You know, the Bible doesn't just give us the doctrine of repetition in one place. (laughs) If it did, I would be really concerned. (laughs) Romans 15, 15. I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister, to be a liturgos, priestly minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, priestly ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my priestly offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable. So instead of putting a goat on the altar, you lead somebody to the Lord, you put them on the altar. (laughs) You put them up as a sweet-smelling savor and say, there you go, Lord. They're, they're a believer now. They were not a believer yesterday. This is my offering before you, a sweet-smelling savor. And we're ministering as priests when we give the gospel. We're ministering as priests when we serve one another in the body of Christ. We're ministering as priests when we exercise our spiritual gift. Okay, When you're changing a diaper in the nursery, you're ministering as a priest. So we say these things over and over again. And uh, to remind you again, to remind you again, so if you remind somebody, what's that? That's like at least the second time you've told them, but if you remind them again, what's that? Yeah, yeah. That's a second reminder, which is at least the third time you've told somebody something. Okay? Which, you know, if you're a housewife, you, you know how this works. Because you've told your husband two or three or four different times that the front porch light is out. You've got to change the light bulb. Come on. Oh yeah, thanks for reminding me. I had forgotten. Second Peter 1. I mean, seriously, I, I don't, when, when do I use the front, front door? I don't know. I park in the garage. Second Peter 1. Twelve through fifteen. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. 
Okay? So why bother saying it again? They already know, right? Why bother saying it again? I mean, my wife knows I love her, right? Doesn't she know that already? I told her that once already. I got to tell her again? All right, so I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. See, the truth is a living thing, and it's present with you, it's walking with you, it's, it's abiding in you. You're abiding in the Word, the Word is abiding in you. I consider it right, fitting, proper, appropriate, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling. Okay? Sorry, but I'm still here, so you're going to get it again to stir you up by way of reminder. To stir you up. See, sometimes it's not just simply a matter of something you don't know. You know it, but you've got to be stirred up. You've got to kindle that, 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 the, the campfire, right? When Paul tells Timothy to kindle afresh the gift that's within you. It's not that you don't know it. you just got to get it stirred up again. You gotta, it's got to trigger a response. You've got to do something with it, not just know it. And so I can uh, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. I could drop dead tomorrow. I better remind you again today of these things. As our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. You know, I mean, was there a bigger knucklehead than Peter? Jesus had to tell him over and over and over again, Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Again and again and again and again. And thank God that Jesus was as redundant and repetitive with, with, uh, with Peter. Because Peter needed it. Again and again and again and again. And I think, I think it's a grace thing. <laughs> I think the God, I think Jesus was so genius in, in getting Peter to say, I love you three times. I love you three times. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. You know I love you. And he got, because he denied him three times, right? Peter denied the Lord three times. And so Jesus gets him to affirm his love three times and says, all right, we're good. <laughs> anyway, so um, just as our Lord Christ has made clear to me. And I also will be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. If you've heard it enough, are you going to forget it? If you've heard it over and over again, are you going to forget it? According to His promise, we are looking for what? New heavens and a new earth in which what dwells? Righteousness dwells. Why do you know that? Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be what? Diligent to be found by Him in what? Peace. Spotless and blameless. You've heard this before. Why have you heard this before? Okay. I'm going to see you again, either here, there, or in the air. You've heard that before. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for truth, and I thank you, Father, for repetition and I thank you for the things that just pounded in and pounded in and pounded in. And I think of um, Pastor Theme and, and uh, the Word of God is alive and powerful. I think of Ken Jensen and um, 
Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, having given himself for our sins, and he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, even the Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I think of uh, so many uh, of these pastors that have been so faithful through all these years, and and uh, the repetition, the repetition, the repetition. And I thank you, Father. Thank you for Scripture memory. Thank you for all the disciplines that we have by which we uh, receive the word implanted that's able to save our souls. And so, Father, might this be the case with rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Father, just pound it away again and again and again so that uh, that we'll live it out day by day and moment by moment. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.